Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. Here once again, talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, with a featured prelim of Sean Strickland versus Abu Magomedov. Yeah. Not, oh. not even a chuckle. <laughs> I sort of... Yeah, I sort of... <laughs> I sort of took a minute catching up to your joke. <laughs> I was like in my head thinking about your chair creaked when the intro yeah, started. And I, I, know, was, I, know. I was going to comment on how it was. I was imagining that was like your eyes opening or something <laughs> like to, to your your automatic robot duty of covering every UFC card. That's right. And while I was thinking of this, you made a good subtle joke that I missed. I apologize. That's OK. But yeah, a we're very we're not... a very featured prelim. A very featured prelim. Yeah. 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 We're, we're talking about the undercard right now. We already did our main card chat in here. So we're talking about these prelims with an actual featured prelim of Kevin Lee versus Renat Fakratinov. Mm-hmm. And um, on top of a prelim card that kind of asks, what are some of these people doing here? And why are some of these people on the prelims? And why couldn't we make some of these into better fights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is one of those cards where I I I will take like my first glance at it and I'm like I hate this this sucks, and then I look at it again and for just a moment I'm like why did I have such a negative reaction? There's a lot of fighters I like on here. Yeah, there's a lot of fighters I like on here too. And then you see that then you like you take one more seconds look at the matchups they're in and you're like oh okay yeah I guess. I like these guys because I want to see them in interesting fights, not just because I want to see them. They're not my friends. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want stories out of them. I don't actually care if most fighters win or lose. I just like them because I like watching them in cool fights. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about Kevin Lee here versus Renat Fakratinov, which uh, isn't... Um, I mean, it kind of... Ch- I have to wonder why the UFC brought Kevin Lee back. I don't know. Because if it's for this fight, why bother? Yeah. This, isn't, this isn't a bad fight considering where Lee's at. But where Lee is at is a guy who lost six of his last nine bouts. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I mean, I I was, despite everything, I was kind of surprised when they cut him in the first place. Even though he'd lost a ton of fights, like, obviously, that it doesn't make no sense. Um, but I, the thing is, is it's not, it's not super easy for me to put my finger on what precisely has caused Kevin Lee to lose each of these fights. 
Many yeah. of them are to a point good performances from him. It was well, sort of an accumulation of a bunch of bad little traits that Kevin Lee has. Yeah. Kind of, one will be emphasized over the other, given what kind of matchup he's in. Right? It, it, like it, in a weird way, I feel like he's a bit like Randy Brown in this way hmm. where, and you know, with very, to di- very different skills and a very different mentality about those skills. Yeah. But you watch Randy Brown fight and you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of things you do really well and a lot of moments where he's really good in fights. Yeah. And then the reasons Randy Brown might lose any one fight, you're like, oh, that was kind of weird and unique. Mm -hmm. But you put together all of these like weird, unique deficiencies of his game. Yeah. And you have a guy that loses more often than he should in ways that are all unique, but somehow feel like they're tied. Exa- to exactly. Complicated. Yeah. Like, it's not like every time Kevin Lee loses, it's because he like, he, he, he expended too much effort and gassed when he's at yeah. performance where he's expended tremendous effort for five rounds mm-hmm. and, uh, and one because of it. It's not like it's always cause he can't take a shot. I mean, I don't think he has the world's best chin, but, um, he's- never been knocked out he's been knocked out once by yeah he he gets hurt i mean he gets hurt it's hurt but it's not a bad chin it's not a chin so bad that he gets knocked out all the time no certainly not um yeah and and it's like he's like a some sort of a weird stiff striker that's often a problem but he's also a really dangerous striker yeah he's long he's got crazy long arms great natural power with that yeah, and he hits he hits really hard, and yeah, so it's just difficult to say. He's just like w- weirdly dysfunctional. Yeah, there are just um, gaps. There are things you know where like he can be low kicked, he can be hit clean and caught clean because he's not the cleanest striker, and he's probably more insulated by his reach than it seems because he's not that tall, but he does have yeah, really long arms. Yeah, and he's just he's just obvious with his striking a lot of the yeah. time, like. Unless it's like the last shot in a long combo like he hit Gregor Gillespie with, then you can kind of, you know when Kevin Lee's going to step in and throw something at you. He's very counterable. That yeah. is a super consistent problem. Anybody who throws at the same time as him is going to hit him because his head doesn't move, and you can see him loading up even when he's just trying to come in with a jab. Yeah, and he will like get into weird... Like I remember in his RDA fight where like... yeah. He was throwing all these big body kicks, and I just kept thinking, like, do you have, like, he, he, one of the things that happens is that if he gets into a place where he's not winning, yeah, he doesn't have any subtlety to protect his energy. Yeah. That's a big yeah. thing. I guess that's it, is that, yeah, Kevin Lee is either completely winning or he's like slowly losing. Yeah. He's, he's really like needs to be crushing people and building the momentum as the fight goes on. Yeah. Cause it was, I remember like watching the RDA fight and it's like, he's throwing these big body kicks and it's just like, you're not winning this fight. And now each thing you're doing is just like the biggest expenditure of energy. Yeah. That you can have. Shouldn't you just be trying to like, you know, pop a jab or like get, do something to push RDA back a little and get him on his heels a bit. 
yeah. and not just trying to land the biggest shot you can with RDA coming forward at you. Yeah. He's, he's really a, a, a one-way traffic kind of fighter. Yeah. And so it, it does. I think that is really the thing is that, like, if the tra- if traffic starts going against him at any time, then there's no regulation in his game. Yeah. There's nothing where it's going to be like, oh, Kevin Lee can steal back momentum by doing X, right. you know? He's not he even even getting on top of people for Kevin Lee at the point he does it where he's not trying to actively hurt somebody that itself usually means that he's so tired that he can't also control them anymore either. Mm -hmm. Like if Kevin Lee is on top of you because he needs to steal time and take momentum back, he's not going to be able to take momentum back. Mm hmm. You're going to be the opponents are going to be able to get up and they're going to be able to start hurting him because he's dispirited at that point. Mm-hmm. So it is like there's just no there are a lot of solid, not necessarily always crushing, but a lot of solid offensive tools in his game mm-hmm. and very little regulatory. Keep you in this fight, survive. Yeah. Tools. The kind of stuff we watched Ilya Tupuria unveil last week. Yeah, yeah. Even though he was dominating the whole time, it's like, how do you just sort of hold on to, at the very least, like neutrality in the fight? Mm -hmm. What are your fallbacks? What's your your sort of, I don't know, you need need to be able to find a comfort zone that can't just be like blown up. You know what he's like? Yeah. He's like Edmund Shabazian if Edmund Shabazian could wrestle. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, your comfort zone can't be winning. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, you're you need a place where you can kind of go to be comfortable. That isn't like so many fighters. Like, I, oh, I have to fly into the clinch. Like, I, I hate what's happening. And like everything you do, once you get uncomfortable, is you're right. Is expending too much energy and is it, it, you spiral in this kind of panicked way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always result in Kevin Lee like completely gassing, although it often does. But it it uh, it just results in worse decision making. The harder yeah. the fight, I gets. mean, like that Ally Quinta fight was like the quintessential. Yeah, this should not be an unsolvable problem for you. Mm-hmm. But he just started falling a little bit behind Ally Quinta, and it was just like, "There's not. What are you? Where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. What are you going to bring into this fight that lets you get back into it? Yeah, with Ally Quinta." Edging you out in rounds now. How do you how do you stabilize? You know. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, is that uh, going to work against uh, boring wrestleman? I I got to pick boring wrestleman. Yeah, it's kind I mean, of the feeling. I mean, I I th- what I see happening, uh, and this you know based on all the stuff we just said about Kevin Lee, take this for what you for what it's worth. I do see Fakradinov eating a bunch of really long, straight, powerful punches. Yeah. Uh, as long as he is on the feet and pressuring. I think he is a very awkward striker. Very. He, you know, like you, Fakhrdinov is one of these guys who will just sort of chuck a low speed, low kick out there with no setup mm-hmm. and just kind of linger. And um, when he counters, you know, it's like one big shot and he puts himself out of position almost in like the first layer of any move he tries to make. 
Um, but he's durable mm-hmm. and he's persistent and he knows exactly what he's good at and how he wins fights. Yep. Fakadrinov is not a fighter who has any illusions about what he needs to be doing out there. And that, I think, is a great strength for many people who have fought Kevin Lee. Yeah. It's just having a super direct, straightforward game plan that you do not deviate from. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning to Fakhradinov as well. I would love to see Kevin Lee win this. I'd love to see Kevin Lee sort out his issues. He's still, the reason I was surprised when he was cut is, like, he still just seems like a fighter rife with potential, but he's been stuck in this zone for a very long time now. Yeah, it's concerning that he didn't put Diego Sanchez away. Yeah, that too. Like, one of the things that's happening more with Kevin Lee is, like, yeah, that that Gregor Gillespie knockout was cool and dangerous and made, and showed off his power. But, A, it's, it's a head kick. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a replicable, replicable part of Kevin Lee's game. It mm-hmm. is not, you know, it's... It's not a well he draws on often. Well, he does have a good head kick. He's shown he does, it in other fights as well. Kevin's right high kick is very dangerous. But, but knocking people out with with a head kick, it's just... Knocking people out with anything. You better be a certain kind of comfortable with accepting exchanges and, yeah. you know, you be as I'm, relaxed. I'm just saying, and, too, that, like, there aren't that many fighters out there who have ever been, oh, this guy is a head kick knockout guy. You tend to have to be a really, really sharp kicker yeah. to do that. And Kevin Lee is powerful, but that's different than being really sharp, you know? Yes. He might he he can get he can be powerful and get the occasional head kick knockout because it's a move he does, but it's not like, oh yeah, no, he's gonna set you know, it's not it's not Crow Cop out there no, in, no. in his he just he just smashes it in there every now and then. It's a yeah. good kick. It's powerful. It's fast. But yeah, he's he's. This is the thing: is that Kevin Lee has no point at range in striking where he is just chilling. Yeah, and, and he has to be crushing you, or he's not quite winning. But the the, the thing I was going to point out too is with this at, at some point is that like there's not a there's no big winning move that Kevin Lee is settling on either. Mm-hmm. So that he has this fight with Diego Sanchez. And it's like you are looking at 2022 Diego Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Not. You can't manufacture a KO in that one, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> no longer super tough. No long. I mean, still tough, but no longer super durable. Yeah. No longer fast. No longer, you know, anything. Really, just a very faded version of a once good fighter. And Kevin Lee struggled, like he tried to just walk Diego down and got kicked in the body a bunch early. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, eventually figured out, oh, I should actually just like bowl this man over. Mm-hmm. I don't need to hang out here and kickbox Diego Sanchez. <laughs> And but then he just like settled to controlling him for two rounds and like busting him up a bit. But yeah, it doesn't. You know, if, if he's gonna beat somebody like Renat Fakhratinov, I have to feel like 
Maybe that was Kevin Lee trying to, given a blank canvas, trying to work on just like methodically winning a fight and not having to just be crushing. I don't know. I just have to feel like given if he's going to have a fight like this, his best way to beat Fakhratinov is to do something is to just like really, really smash him and put him away. Yeah. Because Fakhratinov is probably going to battle back really hard and especially if this ends up on the ground, fight really hard to scramble and get his own wrestling going and Mm -hmm. make this fight messy. And if he does that for long enough, do I trust Kevin Lee to just hang with it? Mm -hmm. And at some point I don't. So that's just kind of what I keep coming back around to is like, I don't trust Kevin Lee to be a great finisher yeah, And even if I think he can go out and he can put hands on Fakhratinov, even if I think he can go out and probably take him down and out wrestle him, honestly, early honestly. on. Yeah, yeah. He's more powerful. He's going to have a ton of success early on if he goes for it. Yeah. One way I don't think if Fakhratinov uses those opportunities to just, like, battle back and scramble hard and keep going after Kevin Lee, I don't trust Kevin Lee to be finding a, a, a spot where he's just comfortably winning round after round. Mm-hmm. And that's it's too big a worry with him at this point. So, yep. yeah, I, I got to pick Fakutino. Don't trust Kevin. Yep. It's too bad. Uh, Lee opened at plus 203, is currently down at plus 177. Fakhratinov opened at minus 233, is currently at minus 200. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout. (laughs) Yana Santos, Carol Hosa, and uh, I have one one, one of my now famous, I'm now saying they're famous, questions. You are really just, your ego is just inflating to previously unknown proportions. I mean, if it were previously known, then, you know, I wouldn't have to inflate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. You're so clever, you know. Yeah. Why wouldn't you no, have a massive ego? I'm a rare wit, clever, <laughs> handsome. I I only I only have you to compare myself to, so I can't yeah, help. But you're shine. a rare wit, and I'm a rare steak. <laughs> But uh, I, I, I have a question here, mm-hmm. which is really just, can Carol Hosa fight hard anymore? What happened to Carol Hosa? Right? She's bad now. Because this yeah, fight, like, this is, this is a fight right there to win. But not if Hosa doesn't fight hard, because say what you will about Yana Santos, she does actually always fight hard. Yeah. She's not a, a great athlete. She doesn't have speed. She's not very effective in fighting hard. But She's not very effective. She does stuff. She's just big. But she will always go out there and go after people. And if she can push somebody around, she'll push them around. If she can take somebody down, she'll take them down. She will do what she can to have a aggressive fight that she might win. Yeah. 
that should not be enough to beat Carol Hosa. It really shouldn't. It shouldn't. But Carol Hosa has genuinely just seemed to get have gotten worse since her UFC yeah. debut. Yeah. She was she was she was like high output, um, well rounded. I mean, she just looked like a really solid round winning fighter. Mm-hmm. And now she's like she's only twenty eight. Somehow I don't know if it was the loss to McMahon or something, but no, she didn't even look that great in the Kohea fight. Yeah. She just just like slowly learned to stop pulling the trigger. It's very difficult to explain what's going on, but she's so hesitant now. Yeah. Like somebody who goes to a majority decision with Lena Landsberg beats Yana Santos. I don't know. Yeah. It's, right? It should be a lock. It should be a lock. Based on what we know Carol Hose is capable of. But uh, yeah, she's just, she is like, has this weirdly very early turn into what I would expect out of like a, an, a 45 year old heavyweight. Yeah. Just suddenly can't pull the trigger on their punches anymore. And she went in there and had just the most brainlessly dull directionless fight imaginable with Norma Dumont until Despite, she decided to fight. Yeah. She was, and she demonstrated that exactly what worked for her in round three would have worked at any other point. Cause every time she did something, it landed. Yeah. And she just didn't do it. Yeah. Very strange. She's just become really reluctant and like she's second guessing herself or who knows. I I, I can't really recall seeing it in another fighter who's like still young and in their prime. Yeah. It's, uh, it ain't good. No, it's not like she had it beaten out of her either. It's just kind of just going away. The only thing I can think of it in is like fighters like Jordan Meehan who like, yeah, just clearly don't like fighting that much and got, you know, born and raised into it despite not loving it or who fought a ton when they were younger and just sort of yeah. got tired of it and don't want to do it anymore. It, maybe maybe it's that kind of thing. It's like the yeah, like child of Tiger Mom goes to university, has two good semesters and then flunks out like. Yeah, because I you mean, know, maybe Carol Hose is just feeling the pressure now. Because she is only 28, but she did start in 2012. So she has been fighting as a pro since she was 17. Yeah. Yeah, that may be it. Maybe she got sort of pushed into it. There's a ton of pressure on her to succeed. And and now it's just become unbearable. She looks like somebody who is cracking under pressure. Yeah. And maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm still going to pick her. Yeah, me too. It's really just... The saddest of sort of, I hope, mm-hmm. picks here. Because, like I say, Yana Santos, if, if you don't show up to fight Yana Santos, she'll still she'll win. You know, it wasn't that long ago she beat Ketlin Vieira. Yeah. If you just don't show up, Yana Santos will show up. She does not ever just not look like she wants to fight. Yeah. She can get hurt really bad she just sort of will run herself into punches she will uh she can be in a fight that she doesn't want to have it yeah but it always has to, like somebody else has to show up first mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i still think this is enough that hosa could like accidentally win you know she yeah. still she almost did against dumont 
Yeah, she, she can still land big, hard shots. Kunitskaya is more fragile than Dumont. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and is just completely ineffectual. But again, this also sort of describes how Dumont was in that fight. And, yeah. and Jose just didn't. She the, thing seemed... for, the thing that Dumont had that Kunitskaya doesn't is that Dumont has some legit speed and power. Yeah. And she stung Hosa with it really early. Dumont is actually a good counterpuncher, too. Yeah. So she, 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 there was something for Hosa to worry about coming back at her, which is maybe. Yeah. I mean, but that can was. It, can it have that? That was her most passive performance to date. Yes. Even in other ones. And it's difficult not to see that as part of a pattern. But still, I don't know that everyone's capable of shutting her down that fully. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. It's just. I hate you hate to see a fighter yeah. that way. I know. I'd love to be excited to see Carol Hosa fight. She was so much fun. I, I, you know, I, I'm a person, you're a person. We will both say, I, I will always be happy when a fighter retires because like, great. You stopped doing this. Yeah. This is not a place you need to spend your life, mm-hmm. you know? But if you're, but the thing I, I will, that like, the thing that sucks is seeing a fighter stop fighting while they're still competing. Like mm-hmm. if or stop loving it and stop wanting to compete while they're still fighting. Yes. That's why it's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. You don't you do not want to be out here doing this to yourself if pulling the just pulling staying, the in, a, is a staying in a staying in a bad marriage kind of thing. Yeah. Too, too comfortable with the uh, the discomfort I'm 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 used to to uh to not do it anymore. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I hope that's not what's happening to Hosa, but it's hard not to think that that's a that's a distinct possibility that she's just yeah. feeling the pressure and doesn't enjoy what she's doing and she just can't stop doing it. Yeah, I hope not. But if so, then man, get out because like yeah, this sport is not kind and it is incredibly unkind to people who don't really want to be doing it. Yeah. Well, the trouble when you start something when you're a teenager, yeah, stick with it for 12 years is that you don't really um you don't have anything else. Know how to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Please show yeah. up, Carol. Please. <laughs> and it's got opened at plus 157, currently plus 147. Kunitskaya or Hosa opened at minus 176, currently minus 164. Yeah, the odds have to get a little closer on this. You know, they really do. Mm -hmm. It should have been an easy call, but you can't look at Hosa's recent performances and be like, oh, no, this is a woman who absolutely wins against any determined opponent or against a determined opponent. Yep. She will make the fight hard on herself. Yep. All right, now we're on our way. Speaking of making fights hard on yourself, mm. a woman's flyweight bout with Luana Carolina and Ivana Petrovich. Petrovich and um, I, think, I think Petrovich is acceptable. Yeah, uh, this fight is hard on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, Petrovich, new fighter. Um, seems very bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's a gamer. I'll give her that. She's yeah. t- she's tough. Um, I I just watched her fight with um, 
my God, which one was it? Uh, Evelina Wozniak. That's the one. Yeah, her most recent fight, Evelina Wozniak, and she um, just got trashed in the first part of the first round. Yes, badly enough that I'm like, wait, no, you signed which one? Yeah, right. Smushed up against the fence, knocked down with an elbow, uh, beaten up a little bit from top position. And what you do see is that probably she's a bit of a habitual slow starter. Mm-hmm. And that as the fight goes on, she is pressuring much more confidently, not super effectively with, with, with all of her individual skills, but certainly started putting a pace on Wozniak. And... Um, I don't think she's a great wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. Her technique, no. she like ducks her head down and, but she has reasonably good timing on some of her entries. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, again, given the level of wrestling defense she'll be up against, she'll probably still be hitting some of those takedowns. Yep. And yeah, I just think she kind of grows into each fight and gets more comfortable as it goes on. That's, you know, yeah, I think you're right. She about looks that. terrible early. Like, yeah. With few exceptions, she looks like a complete mess. She, she seems like basically, just, I mean, she's had six pro fights. She yeah. is currently, uh, she's, well, she's 29. Unfortunately, like a lot of women probably got to start in MMA fairly late. Yeah. Um, but she just seems, you know, she just fights like a raw fighter. She only started fighting as a pro in 2021. Yeah. So you're really looking at somebody two years in, and they fight. She fights like somebody two years in, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And Which yeah, she's she's got a little like um, a little Pat Healy in her. She'll just keep pushing yeah. and inexorably working her way into the fight. Uh, all of that being said, uh, you know, I think she has some potential. I, I think I'm going to make a a physical pick here. Um, yeah. Because Petrovic does not look like a very good athlete. Mm-hmm. She tends to start so slowly and get hurt and hit a ton in the early going. And she will now be going in there against a reasonably good athlete who I'm going to assume is significantly bigger than her, but I haven't actually it, checked. No, actually Petrovic is two inches taller. Taller. And same reach or... Uh, 69 uh, inch wingspan for Carolina, 70.9. Very exact. Makes me think yeah. it's a lie instinctively. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, my instinct here is just that Carolina's game is also Bad. pretty dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, but she's fairly athletic. I mean, she's quick and agile. Um, she's more difficult to take down than she should be. And especially than she used to be. Certainly than she used to be, but even that she she hasn't really developed great wrestling technique either. Mm-mm. She is like she can just kind of wonk her way out of a lot of takedown attempts. Um, so I'm I'm kind of thinking to pick her more more meaningful experience, better athlete, significantly better striker. Yeah, uh, even if she herself is not a brilliant striker, uh, Petrovic is not good at all. Yeah, I think it'll just be one of those things where maybe Petrovic will get her down early, maybe. But he's also fairly likely to uh, tire out. Yeah. I think as the fight goes on, she doesn't really seem like... um, I mean, you say she, she finds a way into the fight, and I agree she does. But I don't have a lot of faith that... 
her style of fighting is going like that there's that hard fights are going to no, no, bring no. the best out of her, you know? No, she just doesn't have a lot of skills to draw on. Exactly. And uh, I think Carolina's been fighting much calmer lately. She's getting less... Absolutely. Uh, she, she's getting a lot less flighty about being on her back foot. Mm-hmm. And a lot more comfortable with the idea that she's... The way she wants to fight is just going to get her hit. Mm-hmm. And that she needs to stand in and keep herself poised to be, if not defensive with her hands, defensive with her reactions. Mm-hmm. So that she's not just, you know, turning her back and sort of like trying to run as she did, you know, the way she was against um, Priscilla Cachoeira in her debut. Mm-hmm. And it's also revealed that she's um, she's she's pretty good in the clinch. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. she she at points got beaten there by um, Joanne Wood. Wood yeah. And, um, you know, got knocked out, I think, coming out of the clinch by Molly McCann. Yeah. That's spinning back elbow. But uh, she was also like landing a ton of good shots on both of those women in those tie ups. Yeah. Really good so, knees in particular. Yeah. I think she'll just be able to meet Petrovich with enough enough off enough hard offense that the control Petrovich might create. The other big thing was that like when Petro in that fight she had with the uh, Wozniak, like at one point pretty early on, she got like Mount. Yeah. And then dropped for, uh, what was it? It was, Oh, she went for a toe hold. Oh, I remember that. Yes. A bad toe hold too. A bad toe hold. Wasn't even close. And at that point, like, yeah, Carolina's her grappling and her wrestling aren't good. But if you're going to just give up those kinds of openings, mm-hmm. I have to assume Carolina's going to get back to her feet. Yep. So bit of I'm a just, physicality pick, bit of an experience pick. Yeah. Carolina has been doing a, uh, a pretty quiet job of steadily improving and has been losing regardless. But these have been to significantly more experienced, more seasoned and dangerous opponents than Petrovich. So I think this is her time to uh, unveil what that experience has taught her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a good point for her to show up and look like the better fighter. If mm-hmm. not, then you she know, should. Yeah, she should show up and look like a better fighter. If she doesn't, then her opponents need to like really be kind of pulling her aside at some point <laughs> her, coaches like, her opponents not her, her opponents her, co- her, her coaches rather <laughs> her opponents listen you really should have beaten me yeah that's right. <laughs> i just wanted you to hear it from me yeah you need to know wow <laughs> i suck yeah or maybe she needs to pull her coaches aside and be like you know what i don't hey. even know what i'm doing out here yeah, teach me. Shouldn't you guys be teaching me things? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Petrovich opened at minus 245, is currently at minus 203. Huh. Caroline opened at plus 213, is currently down at plus 180. Okay. I guess. Even would be the best I would go here. Even sounds fine. Yeah. 
Carolina's not good, but neither is Petrovich. Uh, yes, I don't know. Uh, undefeated at 6-0. and Yeah. Regional women's uh, flyweight and maybe some bantamweight in there, too. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not... Again, I think Petrovic clearly has potential, and she has nothing but potential because she's so early in her career, but it's also because she's very, very raw. Yeah. I don't know. Russian who likes to grapple people. I guess a certain segment of MMA betters just look at that and they're like, oh, yeah, easy. Well, she's... She's not even Russian. She's Bosnian, isn't she? Yeah, Bos- Croatian born in Bosnia. Sorry, mixed up my Slavs. I apologize. <laughs> All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. And if you know Bosnians, they don't like to be mixed with other Slavs. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mix your Slavs. They tried that in the Balkans. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no mixing the Slavs. That's not a... We th- Many have tried, all have failed. That's got to suck to be from like a part of the world like that where like the distinctions between you and your neighbors are are uh, are so profound and like upsetting and detestable to you and then every other part of the world that is involved is like you guys are all the same yeah i don't, <laughs> I don't what's the big deal yeah yeah <laughs> anyway apologies to our bosnian and serbian and croatian listeners yes not the checks though no not the checks god damn no Ugh. they're practically germans they don't don't really count uh all right that 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 will get us some hate mail and bring us to a featherweight bout (laughs) joanne Brito, weston wilson and um fake name (laughs) it really does it's a creative fighter name that's fake (laughs) weston weston (laughs) walton wilson walton wilson I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna keep kind of going going up with different permutations of Galton this name. Woggins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh Weston Wilson needs some big fake uh, white teeth like Walton Goggins has in Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. He needs really. those uh what do they call those? The child beauty tangent? Flippers. He needs flippers. Yeah. Those fake teeth. So <sighs> Weston Wilson here is a testament to uh, upstate karate and their training system, <laughs> which was makes uh you know which is why he's won uh, one two three four five six seven eight. Nine, ten, ten of his fights by submission. <laughs> like he's a very clear Wonder Boy disciple. Mm-hmm. And watching it uh, becomes immediately clear how much of what Wonder Boy does is down to being Wonder Boy and having done that system of karate since he was two yeah not only is he very technically precise wonder boy is also an underrated athlete yeah he's super fast and has incredible reflexes and 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 it's just super precise in all of these moves he does because he has had to do them his whole life yep he's very studied 
And Wilson looks like somebody who, you know, came in at like 14. Yeah. Or something. You can't try on the Wonder Boy look, you know? Yeah. And you, so you can see the bounce and you can see the step in. And occasionally you can see the power. But there's a lot of flappy arm uh, walking on to really heavy strikes. Yeah. From Wilson. Because, you know, the, the head movement part of the, uh, of the game is not, it's not a big component of Wonder Boy's game. He, he's there. He is, his style is all built around not being there to be hit. Yeah. After he's landed. He still has better head movement than Weston Wilson. Sure, sure. But Wilson, you can just, he gets into the pocket and then he just stops there. Yep. And the results of what he then has to do is he has to wrestle and grapple. Yep. Because he is stuck in the pocket having leapt in with his karate stance and not being in very good position to do anything else. Doesn't Mm -hmm. have the sliding footwork to get out of the way or anything like that. And credit to him, he is an aggressive grappler. Mm-hmm. And he will jump on positions and he will take whatever his opponent gives him in the grappling game. Um, but it's just it, it is a it is a style built to push somebody into danger and say, OK, see what happens. It, you know, it's, it's sort of like if. Um, oh, God, uh, damn it. Who were the two the the two brothers? One of which was at heavyweight. One was at middleweight. The heavyweight went to light heavyweight, and the middleweight got cut. The Dawkus brothers? Yes. It, it's a bit like Kyle. He's a bit like Kyle Dawkus if er, Dawkus if Dawkus if Kyle didn't know how to box. Yeah. Or didn't have a like extended boxing game mm-hmm. where Kyle could actually throw three strike three punches and you'd be like oh yeah those looked good mm-hmm. West wilson can throw one or two and you're like okay those looked hard and well timed <laughs> yeah. but everything around it is really messy and now you are stranded and as we even saw for docus it has to lead to the clinch yeah and even when it leads to the clinch if you're not a great athlete you just start getting crushed yeah you know, Dawkins has found he he found many opponents like Eric Anders who would just be like, "Oh, okay, you're right in front of me now. Just gonna start smashing you, dude." Mm-hmm. And it's really hard not to look at Joe Anderson Brito and just be yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah, this dude gonna crush you." Yeah, I mean, I will say that unlike a guy like Kyle Dawkins, like I think um, Wilson is more committed to the idea of like hurting people yeah like he's a finisher and when he crashes into people he's not just looking to take them down he's also looking to use his height grab their head and knead him in the face i mean he landed some good knees on teruto ishihara um in their fight and like he he is very aggressive when he ties up with people in a way that docus would sort of mute the aggression he was finding success with on the feet it was more of a comfort zone thing for him yeah I think for Wilson, it's because he just crashes into people. He doesn't know what he's doing in the pocket, and then he gets a hold of them, and he's big, and he just starts yanking them around. Yeah. He's a, he's a weird hybrid of the Wonder Boy style while being like a kind of a bully. 
Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he's just like full of technical holes, and um, Joe Anderson Brito is like exceptionally dangerous. Yeah. And if you can have a lot of the success you want to have against Hiroto Ishihara and then just get one-shotted by him, uh, it's kind of hard for me to pick you over Brito. Yeah, Brito is, I mean, he's triple tough. Yeah. Really fast, really strong, and really dedicated to being a bully. Yeah. So he is just going to car crash into Weston Wilson over and over again. And it is really hard to see Wilson surviving that. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, it's not even like the shot Toruto hit him with was like some slick karate shot. Will, no. Wilson just, I mean, this is the other thing that happens, I think. Wilson, um, you know, a, a little less uh, a little less Wonder Boy and a little more Charlie Ontiveros because mm-hmm. he tends to finish people really early. And when that doesn't happen, and this has resulted in all the losses he's had that aren't finishes, um, like the karate goes away. Yeah. He stops being bouncy. He like he gets tired and he yeah. becomes very flat footed and then he just kinda has to walk into range. And this this is what happened to him against Ishihara Ishihara less than four minutes into the round. Into the yeah. first round. He just walked onto a left hand. Yeah. It it it, it is noted it has to be noted that honestly the kind of stuff the kind of style that Wonder Boy does, it is just like Intensely difficult. Yeah. Super specialized. Super specialized. And you just stick it on somebody else. And even like I say, I get the feeling Wilson's probably been doing that for a while. He probably did karate. He probably has the background. It's just. It's just. It is very difficult to make a functional MMA game out of that. Yeah. And I don't, you know, upstate karate before. Before Stephen Thompson went to MMA, it was like a shiny pants kickboxing mm-hmm. school. Yeah, like yeah. They, I mean, they, they probably still training. turn out yeah. <laughs> like American-style kickboxers. Yeah, they're not training people for MMA. It's not built for that. And yeah. Thompson has been able to adapt it because, yeah, he's a really pretty good athlete and because he knows it so well that – the things that are really difficult about it, he can do his second nature. Yeah. He had a brief segment. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much time, but he had a brief segment uh, coaching on the ultimate fighter, uh, helping Conor McGregor out. Yeah. I saw some clips where he was like, yeah, just being unfailingly nice to Conor McGregor. And and I remember the one clip where he was trying to, you know, chat it up with Conor and Conor asked him what his uh, weight was. What's the weight? And Steven <laughs> said, you know, he was like, I'm probably like uh, 195, something like that right now. And the look on Connor's face when he said that, like, clearly, as a fighter in a lower division, he is heavier than that right now. Yeah. He was intimidated by old Steven Thompson just staying pretty trim. But like, there was a moment in there where Thompson's training and he's like showing these kids, you know, coming in to show them some moves. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we're just going to do like a double step to a jab. And you just see him execute this like perfect little like lunging 
step forward into a hard jab. Those like stuttering faint steps he does. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just like that is insanely difficult. Yeah. And you just you do it and you make it look like you're like, oh yeah, you'll just here, let's just do this. Yeah. That'll train you know, that'll train you up. And it's like that is probably what Weston Wilson has been looking at his whole life. Mm-hmm. Or his whole time training there. Just like, hey, here's a little thing. And it's just like that. Thank you, but <laughs> yeah, how most I of the you... karate guys in MMA, what they they boil down to a few tricks, basically. Yeah. Hunter Nelson has a few tricks, and uh, a guy like Weston Wilson looking has a few tricks. Stephen Thompson has like a complete kickboxing game that just happens to be karate style. Yeah. So it uh, is not surprising then when I read the odds here that Joanderson Brito is the favorite. Okay. Opening at minus three thirteen sixteen. Oh, I mean, even that, that's still too wide. Right? Minus, minus thirteen thirty three right now, and Weston Wilson is at plus open at plus seven seventy eight and is currently at plus seven ninety. I mean, I'm pretty confident too, but Jesus Christ, those are super wide odds. Yeah, it's true. They are still one one site has Joe Anderson Brito probably a mistake. But has Joanderson Brito listed at minus five thousand? <laughs> All right. Hey. That brings what us- this probably reflects is like one rich idiot placed a bet. Uh no, because those are opening odds. They, oh, they opened at minus thirteen hundred. Okay. Wow. They hate Weston Wilson's game a lot more than I do. But it's also short notice too for Weston Wilson. Okay. Yeah. This was supposed to be. Uh, Joe jo Anderson Brito versus Hussein Ashkabov. Uh-huh. Like a cool fight. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in Wilson on like a week's notice. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That brings us to Alexander Romanov, Blagoy Ivanov, and a fight that a year and a half ago I would have called <laughs> entirely differently. A fight that a year and a half ago, I think I would have been more excited for. Like, ooh, what's going to happen? Yeah. Ivanov is very difficult to look good against, but Romanov is so impressive. And Romanov yep. has looked like absolute dog shit. Yeah. He fell off. I was sure when we got him, we saw enough tests out of him that we're like, okay, this is not another. What was the other guy? Ernik. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. A little bowling ball heavyweight. Started with an E. He was also Russian. Oh, uh. Yeah, or something. We we were excited for him. And, yeah, and then he just blew up. Yeah, and yeah, I was sure. Like Romanov gave me enough wins in UFC. I'm like, okay, this guy yep. is the real deal. Yeah, and beat then, Mark, uh, Marcus Rogerio de Lima, beat uh-huh. Juan Espino. I'm like Espino, you know, these aren't the highest level or something, but like Espino was a, a he he was a top tier international heavyweight wrestler for yeah, a while. Incredible, credible wins. And Rogerio de Lima is an experienced dude, been around a long time. And then he went out and he dominated Jared Vanderon. You're like, of course he should. And yep. dominated Chase Sherman. And it's like, of course he should. This is all fine. This is all normal, like functional stuff. And then he hit Marcin Tybura mm-hmm. and fell apart after a round. And you're like, okay, little warning. It just imploded. He just uh, because the wrestling, the wrestling got shut down, and as soon as it didn't work, he couldn't stop wasting energy, and he didn't know what else to do. Yeah, but Marcin, it, 
has a great has great cardio and is a good grappler. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I can see how that might happen. You know. Yeah, and then he comes in against Volkov, and it looks like he is being haunted by what happened in the Tibor <laughs> fight. He looked like he was like drunk for four weeks straight before walking into the cage. Like he yeah. literally, I rarely notice these things the way that like the seasoned horny eyes of like old school boxing commentators do. They're always like, oh, he looks a little soft around the middle. He didn't yeah. wash up a good sweat in the warm up room. I don't usually notice these things. Romanov looked in bad shape. He did. Like immediate eyeball test. Oh, this dude did not prepare for this fight. Yeah. He looked like the Tabora fight happened and. I'm not even making fun of the guy here. He looked like he spiraled into depression. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. He looked like he dragged his ass off the couch for the Volkov fight, and it went much, much worse um, than the Tabora fight. M- much, much worse than really it should have gone, even given what we learned in the Tabora fight. He just, one takedown, gassed. I mean, even to the point that, uh, let me see. Against uh, Marcin Tybura, he had a completely shaved head. Mm-hmm. And five months later, when he fought Alexander Volkov, I am absolutely sure he had, had, he had the exact same haircut just grown out. Yeah, which is how I do it. And that's not a good sign if you're a professional athlete. Yeah. He's <laughs> not a man taking care of himself. No. Yeah, he literally, like the moment I saw him, I was like, ooh, he looks like he's been having a rough time of it. And I think that's exactly how the fight played out. He literally looked like he's been depressed. He just could not handle that first big loss and uh, did not cope with it well. And now he's had another one. And so I have very little reason to believe he's going to come into this looking good. Mm -hmm. And if he looks anything less than good... Ivanov will beat him because Ivanov is Ivanov is not the greatest round winner out there. His main strength is that he's like impossible to put away and impossible to look really, really dominant against. Yep. But if you're going to fall apart of your own accord, Ivanov is just a tremendously solid heavyweight fighter. Yeah, I mean, we Marcos Ajeri de Lima has been doing pretty good lately, honestly, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. but he's also a guy who tends to fall apart, and he fought. Ivanov and just yeah he couldn't keep up and so Ivanov beat him yep you know tied to Ivasa guy yep. who falls apart guy who lost Ivanov yep you know and it doesn't like Marcin Tybur and Augusto Sakai they're both fighters who well at least the older version of Sakai right who don't tend to fall apart easily and Sakai, even still, honestly, he has to be kind of he has to be hurt. And Ivanov is a great herder. He's he's not a great round winner. He's not a guy who really lands. He's not very aggressive or assertive in his game. He really yeah. likes to counter and hang back and kind of let you make the mistake. Yeah. So if you're a guy who sticks around and can just keep mm-hmm. putting it out there, you can beat Ivanov. Other people yeah. have. You just have to be consistent in putting out volume. Yep. And because uh, you're not going to knock him out, Lord knows, no. and you're going to have a very difficult time out wrestling him, too, even if you are a good wrestler. And, um, yeah, I just again, Romanov looked like his life exploded. Yeah. After the surrounding that Tabora fight. And unless he looks radically transformed here and um, 
I, I basically I need to see it because he looked so bad in that Volkov fight. I just don't think he's gonna be well prepared. Comes out in his hair like shoulder length now. Oh my god, yeah. He's got a <laughs> huge beard. Uh yeah, he's like somehow there's just like a mustard stain in his chest hair. <laughs> you know, like he just I, I yeah, uh, who knows what to expect. I again, we're we're making light of it, but he literally looked like a depressed man. Yeah. In that last fight. Let me see is he is are there any photos of him recently? He had like bags under his eyes and stuff. I mean he's like Posing with he, he posted a, a thing of old photos Ooh, of him recently. Uh-oh. That's bad. That's a bad sign. Yeah, all of his all of his Instagram stuff is like old photo. He's got one of two weeks ago where he looks he, he's he's with a a, a a very pretty woman that I'm assuming is his wife. Mm-hmm. And he he looks like he's in decent shape and he's at least cut his hair. Mm-hmm. So. That, you know, that's good. It doesn't really tell me anything, though. But it's good. At least I, I hope he gets back on track. It was genuinely yeah. concerning how he showed up in that Volkov fight. Yeah. I hope I know, he has gotten it I out of his heard, system. I, I think I had heard that there was some... He had some kind of problem or something where he decided to stay home and train hmm. for that fight. Maybe, yeah, or maybe that there was just, some stuff going on in his personal life. Yeah, or that even he just decided to like save money and stay home and train for this camp or something for that camp. Uh, with his last fight, yeah, I don't necessarily see any signs that he's away from home for this camp. But uh, hopefully, maybe that was a hard lesson of like you can't train whatever you did, you can't do it. Yeah. So hopefully that is a lesson learned, but. Yeah, if he shows up anything less than, I mean, honestly, even if he showed up the prior version of himself, this is a gonna just gonna be a really hard fight for him. Yeah, it's just not easy to to walk over Ivanov. You don't beat Ivanov by out wrestling him. Nobody does. Yeah, and you don't finish him. Yeah, so there is any version of Romanov would I just out and out pick him to beat Ivanov over three rounds? Yeah, so I said at the, a couple yeah. a couple of years ago, I would have been very excited because this is a very yeah. interesting test. I probably would have bought in onto the hype more at that point. Yeah, for sure. And I would have been like, oh, Ivanov, yeah, he's kind of not really pulling the trigger enough. I'll take Romanov's wrestling to get it done. Now I'm just like, no, can't yep. even. Don't trust it. Uh, Romanov is still a favorite. I don't know. Open at minus 118, currently down to minus 139. So the favorite and getting wider. Ivanov opened at plus 107, is currently plus 125. I'll, I'll take a little of that inside info you uh, you favorite betters are uh, working on, because I would love to know that Romanov is not just completely uh, fallen off. Yeah. All right. That, that brings us to our final fight on the card. Guram Kutataladze, El, I'm, I know it's Elvis. I know it's Elvis. El, Elves Brenner. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you caught me with that last time because I read that and for, I just see Elvis, even though I'm like the Lord of the Rings nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see the word Elves, but now. <laughs> 
I, I just can't read it without reading it as Elves Brenner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I uh, grew up catalogs, the Elvis Brenner. And uh, very close to like a Skyrim word for elves. It could be Elves yeah. Brenmer. Yeah, there we go. The merfolk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this should be a. This is a fight I think will be actually much closer than it should be. Mm-hmm. Guram Kataladzi is the more precise, more studious, faster, mm-hmm. and more powerful fighter. So, might be a better wrestler. I don't know. I, I he's not he's not a terrible wrestler, but it's clearly not his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And Brenner is. He's just very much a hard. I mean, he's shootbox Diego Lima, and much like um, oh, who's the bantamweight shootbox guy? Bantamweight shootbox was it Nicholas Mata? No, he's a lightweight, and he's not shootbox. He's Factory X or something, isn't he? Yeah, not like that. Uh, the ban the bantamweight shoot shootbox guy. He recently fought Johnny Munoz, and we. I'll I'll just look it up through that. Just look it up. I don't know. Uh, Santos, Daniel Santos. Okay. Willie Cat. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Much like Willie Cat, you can see the shades of uh, Charles Oliveira in it, Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. the game that he wants to play. I would assume that Charles Oliveira is like, you know, the guy everybody there looks up to any, anybody who has come to that gym in the last five to 10 years is probably just like, I want to be Charles Oliveira. Yeah. And I want to be Charles Oliveira. Talk about a real, real life man. Just got Walton Goggins teeth. Indeed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you see in Brenner, like there is a desire to walk forward, be tough, be busy. A fighting style built out of a lot of sparring. Throwing in a little extra, more creativity than Oliveira throws in. Like, I think that's the thing with both uh, Santos and Brenner. Is that, like, Oliveira will throw in the occasional, like, spinning strike or jump knee or something like that. Mm-hmm. But most of what he does is actually really pretty nuts and bolts. And what the other people who are trying to take on his style are doing, they 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 think of the exciting stuff, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to do more of that." So there's a little less clean technique, and a little more wildness to it, mm-hmm. a little a little more uncontrolledness to it. But it also boils down to at the baseline a lot of just sort of hard nosed combination get into the pocket throw your strikes be used to being in a firefight style of fighting yeah i mean look how long it took chucky to become the guy he is now yeah it's true he was that at the beginning too yeah that's more reckless less ordered just has to be aggressive uh and it's a credit to brenner how tough he is and how uh much he sticks to it he was able to just, like, Tukugov didn't have that dedication. Mm-hmm. 
and just ended up getting outworked. Yep. Just ended up creating exchanges where Brenner was more prepared to extend them. More prepared to find the easy strike. Uh, to, to find the easy offense. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll be a bit of a challenge for Katataladze as well, because Katataladze is sharper and he's more athletic and he's more powerful. But he has a little bit of the same Tukugov tendency to just kind of to to make perfect the enemy of good. Yeah, very much so. Where he really wants to be like, oh, I'm going to land the perfect kick. I'm going to talk to Ladze is exactly the guy that like justifies the rule of not overrating a good performance and a loss. Because mm-hmm. he has a lot of those, yeah, not a lot. He's difficult. I mean, he's he's a great fighter, but um, yeah, he just sort of routinely kind of like takes his eye off the ball. And a lot of the most impressive stuff he does is in how he responds to the people beating him. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he's a great athlete, and he can, you know, he he fought his way to a win, getting wrestled by Mateusz Gamrot. Yeah. You can argue that he should have lost that fight. He should have lost it. But what was, what was, uh, well, I mean, you know, one way or the other, I suppose, very close. But again, like the most impressive thing about that fight yeah. was how difficult he was to hold down and how he was like stopping takedowns against yeah. Cameron. You know? And then he had a split decision with Demiriz Magulov, where it's like, damn, that's impressive. But a lot of the most impressive stuff he was doing was just sort of making Ismagulov have to second-guess himself for how powerful Kutataladze could be in instances and how how much Ismagulov had to lean on his jab and just have a like kickboxing match with Kutataladze mm-hmm. instead of getting to implement anything that would make the fight more decisive. Yeah. So... I'm going to pick Katataladze, but I expect this to be a really difficult fight because I think Brenner is going to want, like, he's going to get the fight he wants. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Katataladze just kind of leaves uh, that choice on the table for most of his opponents. Yeah. And I think that's why he, he, he yeah, every, everything he does that's impressive is, like, in response to the opponent's initiative. That's a very yeah. frequent thing for him. So I'll, I'll take Kutataladze for being the better athlete, but if he if he loses a close decision here because Brenner just outworks him, I will not be surprised. Because, mm-hmm. like I say, I mean, the thing we saw out of Brenner that, you know, it, it, he's only had decision losses, and the thing we saw against Tukukov, who's a, a very good, hard-hitting athlete himself, like, Brenner is tough enough at this level to fight the fight he wants. Yeah. Yeah, that's really not, the risk is him just walking onto something and getting KO'd. If that doesn't happen, he's going to be get a lot of initiative and a lot of momentum. Yep. And he'll be busy and he's comfortable in firefights. And mm-hmm. he will, you know, it might be a, a thing where he's landing two strikes to every one Katataladze lands. And you're saying to yourself, well, Katataladze landed harder. Mm-hmm. But how much does that mean? Mm-hmm. If Brenner's not getting hurt, then and he's getting double and he's doubling up on Kataladzi, how much am I waiting that? Yeah. So 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I think that's kind of the whole picture of the fight is that Kutata Ladze is always impressive, but just does not seem like a fighter who really understands how to win rounds. Yeah. And um, at a certain point, his um, obvious athletic abilities um, and his his generally very good technique, they aren't enough to make up for what is like a complete lack of strategy of, yeah. of just winning the moment by moment fight um, and constantly letting the opponent set you up for things with the idea that you're just going to respond to everything they do effectively. It's just not a good way to win fights going forward. And uh, it's the physicality. I think this is one of those matchups where it's probably enough. And again, like Brenner's going to come in. He is going to make Kutataladze respond. And Kutataladze will, I think. You put yeah. him under that kind of pressure, he's going to fire back. He's going to land super impressive clean shots. He'll probably even try to wrestle a little bit. But um, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. And like it has to be noted, too, for Kutataladze that pretty much every finish he's had going back to, I mean, A, most of them, most of every finish he's had are against poor opponents. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that aren't against poor opponents, they're against very undurable opponents. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who is durable and decent, not a lot. He's still gotten a lot. He's still won fights, but he doesn't, he, you know, his, his lack of decisive, uh, continuous output offense you know, like knocking out Felipe Silva, that that's that ain't no thing. Yeah. Knocking out 23 and 14 or getting a referee stoppage over 23 and 14, Guilherme Cadena, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that much. And then having, you know, somebody like Eric Da Silva, uh, 22 and 9, like you're putting a decision out. You know, you're getting a decision. You're taking that guy to a decision. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to just say like, oh, yeah, Ellis Brenner is not on his level. I'm going to pick Katataladze to finish this man. It's like it's much more likely, oh, he's going to have a close fight for all three rounds. Yeah. If he finishes you, it's because of like a single momentary success. Yeah. Uh, and generally consistent finishers have a way of like forcing their win conditions onto the opponent. He's just not a proactive fighter. Yep. Odds here, though, are unreasonably high in that circumstance. <laughs> uh, Total odds open at minus 366. It's currently at minus 595. Brenner opened at plus 304 and is currently at plus 457. Yeah, I think this is going to look like a very close fight. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. For those of you on our Substack, we will jump over here and have a little bit more extra bonus content. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. 
Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.